Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Tuesday, our first Tuesday show going five days a week on the 1st of August. So welcome to this uh, noteworthy event. This is our 102nd episode. I did not know that until I went back and counted. That's the kind of guy I am. I like to give you the real truth here. Before we get started with our interview, we are going to be talking to Brianna Watley. I'm, I'm going to have to make sure I, I pronounce that correctly, and she's probably going to straighten me out. I get that every single time. Uh, folks, I want to say thanks to our sponsors real quick. Let's say thanks to Patriot Coolers. You know them. You love them. There is Patriot Coolers. Go to PatriotCoolers.com. Use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Promo code Kyle gets you 10% off. It uh, adds a, a little bit into the coffers to make a donation to veterans for their mobility, as you can see there on the screen. And as you guys know, I always have mine with me. There's mine. This is uh, There's one inbound for Mr. Ryan Matta as well. Our producer's got one, maybe even sitting in his P.O. box at this very moment. So he will have one. Your Free the Cup campaign, it worked. He's got it inbound. He's decided not to give his two weeks notice. He is going to stick around here. And we also want to say thanks to our friends over at Catholic Vote. Folks, go and sign up for the loop. Catholic Vote, catholicvote.org. Once you do, you will see the opportunity to sign up for this fantastic email service. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a couple off of them again. Once again, this thing comes in about 5 a.m. my time in Central Time in Texas, America. And this is the one for Tuesday, August 1st. They've got a Wall Street Journal article in there talking about school choice. They have something about uh, the Devin Archer testimony that happened yesterday. A little bit about uh, Bud Light workers losing their jobs over the uh, over the problems that they <laughs> has decided to create for themselves. Elon Musk talking about uh, ESG, a study in young boys that are trending conservative. I think that probably makes a lot of sense. We might actually get into that today in this interview. Creepy or hopeful, a uh, an app sparking baby fever. I have no idea what that's about, but that looks interesting since we have a baby on the way here in the Seraphim house and more things including, oh, an interview. How about that? I didn't even know this was being released. An interview with Charlie Seraphim. That's my father who talked about David Koresh, about baseball, about the internet age, and uh, how they worked um, in media back when media was media, when people were trying to actually just give the information. So if you have not ever seen my dad do an, uh, a standalone interview, by all means, go check out the Loopcast. That is in today's loop, and uh, I will probably tweet that out as well because my dad is one of my favorite people in the world. Even at 41, I still check in with my dad for all of my biggest uh my biggest thoughts. All right, we're going to bring on Brianna right now. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Brianna, tell me if I mispronounced your name, please, and we'll bring you on right here. Yes, it's Brianna Watley. Watley. I had that in my head all night, and then I said Watley, and I don't know why, but uh, yeah. Watley. Okay, so Brianna, uh, tell us how old you are, and tell us a little bit about where you're growing up. Yeah, I'm from Florida. I lived in South Florida all my life. I am 16 years old now, and I attend Miramar High School, where I will be a junior this year. Okay, so you're a rising junior. You just finished your sophomore year. Yes. And, and you came to some national prominence. You ended up on Fox News because you are a high school debater who experienced a little bit of censorship, correct? Correct. Right. So, oh, go ahead. Please. No, tell us the story. Right. So I had the opportunity to go on Fox to talk about the censorship that I was experiencing in high school debate. And I soon came to realize that I wasn't the only student who was experiencing this. You know, my mother is actually a teacher. She's an educator. So she really paved the way for me to get into high school debate. 
And it was my fourth grade teacher, actually, that brought up high school debate. And I fell in love with the idea. You know, I love conversing with other students and having my views challenged while also challenging other views. But I've seen that now there's a limit on what views can be challenged within high school debate. Fantastic. All right. Let's get a little bit of backstory on you. Let's talk about the family that you are growing up in. I want to know, are you very political at home? Is uh, are your folks political? Actually, my parents aren't very political. I'm the most out of my family. It was actually a debate that got me into that before I was extremely, you know, closed minded. I got all my views and opinions from TikTok. But after I started doing debate and I started researching into these different topics, I actually could gain my own opinion based off of facts. All right. You just said that you get a lot of your research or you used to out of TikTok. When do you think yes. you first got on a social media platform and what was it? Right. My first social media platform was probably probably Musical.ly, which was TikTok before it turned into TikTok. <laughs> and this was during COVID when everybody was going on TikTok and it was blowing up. And, you know, then I would you know, see what people were talking about. And then I just formed my opinion based off of that, nothing else. I wouldn't look into anything. And a lot of people that I know, a lot of my friends do the exact same thing. All right, so we're talking about pre-TikTok, which was called what, Musical.ly? Musical.ly, yeah. Okay, and then uh, and then it became the app that we know today. Did it have the same little boot loop thing at the end of it when it was going? No, it did not. It, it had a different sound back then. Okay, so they rebranded. And what sort of what, what was the format that you were getting information in? It, how did it come to you? Or, you know, these are not news stories, I'm guessing. These are videos. Right. It, it was pretty similar. It was short videos and the topics would vary, but most of them had a lot of misinformation within it. And so I'm just glad that I've gotten out of that. I'm trying to help my friends do the same and, you know, stop relying on TikTok for their information. You use the word misinformation. There's a couple of words out there that are running around that didn't exist when I was your age. What is your understanding of what those those terms mean? Right. I believe that, you know, people my age are very gullible and they don't look into the actual facts. And so when these people on TikTok present, you know, these videos that are skewed to be perceived in a certain way when in actuality it's just not a lot of people, you know, get into that and then form opinions based off of that. And it's a big problem. So misinformation, as I understand it, is supposed to be information that is inaccurate, correct? But not right. intentionally. Right. Are you familiar with the terms malinformation and then disinformation? Have you heard those in the space? I have heard it. Okay. So malinformation is the thing that we've been hearing um, RFK talk about, which is essentially Malinformation is supposed to be true information, but it sort of contradicts a popular narrative. Does that sound like something you've been hearing some of that too? Right, yes. There was actually a TikTok that my brother showed me very recently about Vivek Ramaswamy. And there was a guy talking about a policy he would want to enact, which would raise the voting age to 25 unless you serve for the country or complete a test uh, that, you know, immigrants have to pass to be able to become a citizen. And he, the way he was, 
you know, presenting this information was as if Vivek wants to suppress voters, which is not true. The, the intent behind it is to revive civic duty among people my age, my generation, because people don't appreciate what it means to be an American and what it means to practice your right to vote. And so that right there was one of the instances in which I see that TikTok just completely skews and plays. Oh, no, we lost her. Give us one second, folks. We'll get her back up on the stream here. I wonder if we lost video uh, for a sec. Give us just one moment uh, while we're doing that. I'm going to look over here in the live chat. I see folks, we're, we're talking about being 16 again. There's so many of us that are uh, quite a bit older than that. And as you think about being a 16-year-old, uh, I just want you to reflect on whether or not you have anywhere near the sort of presence of mind that this young lady, Brianna, has. We lost you for just a second there, Brianna. You were yeah. right in the middle of uh, giving a, a great piece about civic duty and, and your thoughts on that. So by all means, continue that thought if you like. Right. So the intention behind what Vivek wants to do with raising the voting age is not to suppress voters, but rather to just revive civic duty and to revive to young Americans like myself what it means to be able to practice the right to vote. And it was just that's just one instance of how TikTok will skew things to make it seem like it's a bad thing when I, in actuality, I think it's a great idea to restore what it means to be an American among people my age. How uh, well received was this misinformation that you were seeing on TikTok? Was it a, a, a viral video? Was it something that was shared around in a big way? Yeah, it got over half a million views and everybody in the comments were talking about how this is such a bad idea and that this was a form of voter suppression when they don't realize the intent behind this. 100% agree with that. Uh, I think people make these knee-jerk reactions. They don't do anything. Uh, there's the, the do-your-own-research, but they don't even do their own thinking, I think, is, is probably the biggest danger. Yeah. So you got a chance to hang out with uh, Vivek. I've, I've done the same. I sat on a stage with him up in New Hampshire, and I heard him make that that case that he wants to raise the voting age without uh, unless you engage civically. Talk to me a little bit about it. You're about two years away from being able to vote in this country, Right. Right. And what do you think about the idea of there being a requirement on people between the ages of 18 and 25 in order to get that that right? You said it, it sounds like it would increase engagement. Do you think your peers would go for that? I think so. You know, a lot of people my age, there's especially on TikTok, there's a lot of anti-American hate on there. They, a lot of people I talk to, my own friends, when I'm talking about, you know, the debate topics I'm discussing, they don't care. Right. They don't care about what's going on in this country or in other countries. They only care about what matters to them. But in actuality, what's going on in this country does matter. And so I think making sure that all our citizens are informed and know what it means to be an American before they can vote. I think it's a great idea because then we're going to have voters that can appreciate their right to vote. It makes sense have some skin in the game. There was a movie that when I was probably in high school that was called Starship Troopers, and there's a book as well. Are you familiar with that? It's a, a sort of a fantasy fiction, futuristic. I'm not familiar. <laughs> uh, it's, it's maybe worth your time. You might find it very interesting. It'll give you a good reference point with people that are you know over the age of 35 in the you know 35 to 50 range. And one of the interesting points that they have in there, and, and it's actually sort of a, a parody. It's making fun of sort of uh, totalitarians and Nazis and so on. But there's this high school history teacher who's walking around and he's a war veteran. So he's missing like he has a stump of a hand, you know, and he's walking around and he says that voting is violence because it's the exercising of authority. 
you're able to vote and that actually is a violent act and so this is you know he's he's over speaking in this case but what he says is that the reason why you have to have military service in order to be a citizen in this new fantasy you know future space world is because the only people who know how to use violence appropriately are people that have signed up and done it. And so in order to be a citizen, you and then in, I think in order to do some other things as well, you actually have to go and serve the country. And if not that, then you can just be a regular happy person, but you get no say in, in the in the game. And it's sort of lampooned. The, the movie makes fun of it because it's Hollywood and they think it's really ridiculous that that'd be the case. And yet having that skin in the game 20 years later, it, it sort of makes a lot of sense because you, as you're saying, your, your peers are very disengaged from this country. Do people around you that are 15, 16, 17 years old, do they love this country or are they believing something else? They don't love this country. They, you know, they don't understand how much of a privilege it is to be an American. I remember this year, actually, it, in my AP US history class, we had all the students who were 16 and older go and register to vote. At the time, I was too young to do so. But I remember seeing all my classmates just completely disengaged. They didn't want to do it. You know, they were saying, why do I have to do this? It doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. And that's a problem. You know, young people don't think their vote matters. And if they do, then they're voting based off of misinformation. And it's a problem. And do people think their vote matters? No. I mean, I'll tell you, even my own father, as much as I try to talk to him about politics, he just doesn't believe that when he votes, it'll have an actual impact. And I... I actually heard a statistic and it was saying that, you know, around one third of Americans don't vote because they think their vote doesn't matter, which is actually ironic, because if they did vote, then probably most um, elections would go in their favor. But because they don't think so, they just don't do so. I think you probably know more about voting statistics than the average American and you're not even old enough to vote. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's dig into some some of your coursework. What what are you guys studying and the reason why I ask that is because it's obviously forming the way that people are coming out into the world. Are your classmates studying civics? Are they learning how the federal government works? Or is that something you're doing on your own time? Right. So in Florida, it's actually required that you take um, government and politics. And you also have to take civics when you're in middle school. However, the way that it's being taught, it's not being taught to actually, you know, understand how this country works and what it means, right? It, people don't come out of civics saying, well, great, I can vote, I can exercise my right to free speech. I'm an American and I should be proud of this. They just come out, you know, learning, memorizing the preamble of the Constitution, not really understanding what it means. All right, so they're memorizing the preamble. That's not a bad place to start. Do you think, uh, so at 16, you're taking AP, you said uh, government, is that correct? I took, last year I took AP U.S. History. Okay, AP U.S. History. And did that cover from Civil War on? Was that uh, Revolutionary War on? Where did that start? It started back in England during the, you know, Boston Party and all that fun okay, stuff. Okay, so New England on pre-United pre States Revolution and then carried right. on. How far up in American history do you do you guys go when you, when you study it? Yeah, uh, Trump's pre presidency is actually within our course, so very. Okay, so that's a that's a pretty broad survey. When you're doing that, does it also give you the historical context of the way the government was formed during that, or is it literally just these are the events of history? 
at least in my class, because I was taking advanced placement, we mm-hmm. are supposed to look at historical context and understand that. Now in other classes at the regular level, um, you are supposed to draw those connections, but in the actual end of course assessment, it doesn't ask for that. Maybe dig in a little bit, if you would, about the instructors, the teachers that you have. What kind of lens are they bringing to their to their teaching? Right. So this is a great question. My AP U.S. history teacher, I won't get into it very much, but she did, you know, exercise voicing her own political opinions a lot throughout the year, especially towards our governor. She would, you know, voice those opinions about how much she disliked our governor every day. And, you know, I think that's a huge issue because you shouldn't, I shouldn't know what my AP US history teacher's political opinions are. I shouldn't, when you're supposed to just be teaching me implicitly what the facts are, what our history is, help us draw those connections without, you know, having that background opinions. So that's how that went. Do you know how old this teacher was out of curiosity? I think she's around, I want to say in her 50s. In her 50s. She's she's older than me, you think? Yes. Interesting. And she's giving you her political takes which is kind of authoritarian, like she's she's an authority figure in, in your life. She tells you what to do, at least during one class, right? And they're very anti-Ron DeSantis, you said, and you were smiling. Yes, yes, they are. Um, every day in class, she'd be like, you know, your governor, because he's not my governor, did this she, today. You that's know? what she said in those words. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, and, and how do you feel about Ron DeSantis, out of curiosity? I mean, I... I don't support him for his presidential campaign. I do think that what he's done in Florida has been influential and, you know, good in a sense. And I've actually, in a different debate league, I've actually debated the parental rights and education bill. And it was through that debate that I could gain a lens outside of what I heard on TikTok. I remember there was a school in my district that actually had a walkout protest on it calling it, deeming it the don't say gay bill, even though nowhere in that bill does it mention the word gay. And I was completely confused because when I talked to one of those students at the protest, they actually had no idea what the actual bill was about. And so that was just one of the instances in my own life where I saw that misinformation can just skyrocket into, you know, a whole school walkout for no reason. What age bracket was that school walkout? This was a high school. Okay, so we've got kids 14 to 18 walking out of their school, essentially triggering a truancy law if there is such a thing in Florida, and they're doing it over the so-called don't say gay bill. What's actually in that bill? Right. So all the bill does is just prohibit teachers from talking about sexual orientation and gender identity to school to uh, students. Right. And. It was really, I found the bill to be extremely reasonable. There is no reason that a school needs to, you know, teach that. Teachers are not qualified to talk on that subject. If a parent wants to, then they can have a professional do it, or they can do it within their own home. There's no reason for that to be introduced into a public school setting. Did your teachers ever bring up that bill in favorably or negatively? I don't believe any of my teachers did, but I do remember there was a certain topic that my AP US history teacher brought up and she said that, you know, your governor wants to make schools year year round, something like that. And I actually looked into it and the next day in class, I brought it up and I said, 
that wasn't our governor. That was actually one of our school district employees that brought it up within our own school district. It wasn't anything that our governor had been involved with. And the conversation ended there, and she seemed pretty upset when I brought it up. So you called her out on something that she was saying uh, that was false. Right. And that was the end of it. There was no discussion. There was no there was no defense of what her position was. She just went away from it. Yeah, completely. Just, I mean, went right back into the lesson we were talking about. So you're a pretty sharp young lady and you did background research on a, on a position. She shut you down. What does that feel like sitting in a classroom? Right. You know, if she's going to bring up her own political opinions, at least stand behind them. You know, when we have these conversations within the classroom, you want to bring it up. Let's talk about it. Right. Again, back to the values of debate, having these conversing opinions and then clashing them. It's very important. And I wouldn't have mind having that conversation with her. But again, when people's opinions are challenged, they don't want to continue the conversation anymore. What do you attribute that to? You know, I attribute that to just the, you know, the. Oh, we lost her again. Give us a second, folks. We'll bring it back in. Sometimes these uh, sometimes these connections are a little bit shady and or the deep state has got a piece of us. What are we seeing in the live chat right now at the moment, Mr. Ryan? And everybody's loving this. We're all talking about the uh, the don't get don't say gay bill. Eric, Eric J goes. Gay, 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 gay. He goes, I'm in Florida. Gay, stupid lie. <laughs> yes, of course. So, yeah, the, obviously that was a, a pushback. We've got uh, we've got Brianna back. Go ahead and bring her back in there. We, we lost you in the middle of a thing. Um, go ahead and finish that thought, if you would. But what is it? Uh, what's it feel like having them kind of push back on that? Right. So a lot of people don't want their views to be challenged because, you know, they're set in place and they don't actually want to do the research to back their own opinions. Mm -hmm. They form it and then they don't want to have it challenged. And that's a huge issue. Looking from the outside, and I'm 41, my oldest daughter is, is six years old, but my friends have children that are your age. And it seems to me, and this may be a false impression, but it seems like there is a, maybe an intellectual weakness going on in the teaching cadre that they're afraid of being challenged and people like you are a threat to them if you come in and share intelligent, articulate, well-backed opinions. Is that your experience right now? I would say yes. There was actually another incident with my AP US history teacher where she was talking about how Florida passed permitless carry. And I've done multiple debates on that topic. And I find permitless carry I don't think it's a detriment at all. I believe everyone should have the right to practice their Second Amendment right. However, she found it to be completely, you know, create Florida into a state of disarray and there would be violence on the street completely. And it's just not factual in any sense. You know, when when everybody has the right to practice their Second Amendment, it's actually safer. We see people using that right and protecting themselves as they should be. Is there a example of states that have permitless carry that have gone into disarray and violence in the streets? Not to my knowledge, not at all. Are there states that have permitless carry right now that are not violent? Right. There, there are states such as Texas. They recently also uh, implemented permitless uh, carry. And I would also 
you know, question, we look at places like Illinois and Chicago, they have the strictest gun laws in the country, but they have the highest rates of gun violence. Why is that? Why is that? What do you think? Well, you know, it, it doesn't stem from, you know, not being able to have a, your your gun. Actually, let me restate that. It is Please. because of that. You know, people can't, that single mother in Chicago, she can't have access legally to a gun because the state of Illinois won't allow her to. If she were be able to carry, then it would be, it, she would be able to protect herself, right? Makes sense to me. Do you know that some of the earliest, uh, we always hear that race is the, the world that we have to look through. We have to put that lens on whenever we evaluate anything. It, that wasn't the way it was when I was growing up, but it seems to be in, in, it will be in your life for a little while at least. And the earliest gun control and weapon control laws that I'm aware of in North America were all based on race, trying to either keep slaves or freed slaves away from owning knives and guns in public. Have you ever heard that argument? I have, I have. And I'd also like to bring up, you know, countries like Iraq, Iran, even China, they all have constitutions which guarantee the same rights that we do in our U.S. Constitution. But what they don't have is the Second Amendment. Why? Because they don't want their citizens to be able to practice protecting their own rights. You're getting a lot of love in our live chat right now. There's people that are really uh, appreciating hearing someone in your age bracket that's saying some of these things. You've brought up the Constitution a couple of times. Have you read the Constitution or have you kind of cherry picked and, and found parts that you needed for your research? Right. So I've had various debates on the Constitution recently was on the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. um, currently, right now, I'm taking through virtual school uh, AP U.S. politics and government. So i I'm actually studying the Constitution very soon. Okay, very good. So one of the things that I think a lot of people fail to do is they, they don't understand what, you know, how many articles are in the Constitution and what those articles guarantee. Do you have a survey of that in your head? Or is the Constitution, has your focus mostly been on sort of the Bill of Rights and the way that we've amended it? So far, just the Bills of Rights. Okay. And honestly, the organization of the government is one thing, right? And most people probably have no idea how that works. And then the second thing is the Bill of Rights. And I think most people probably don't know how that works either. We have a lot of folks, especially in your age bracket. Um, what is your understanding of the way the Bill of Rights is designed as, as you've been looking into it? Right. So as I've been looking into it, I find that the Bill of Rights guarantee these rights that, you know, states cannot infringe in any way, such as the right to freedom of speech, practicing your religion, that cannot be infringed. Also, the Second Amendment right, which I actually studied for a recent debate, and the Supreme Court does guarantee it as a right to personal protection using a firearm, which is, you know, guaranteed in that aspect. And so a lot of people my age don't understand what the Bill of Rights is and how privileged we are as Americans to have that document outlining our, you know, inalienable rights that we see other countries can't guarantee for their own citizens. As you understand it, are the rights given by the government or do they pre-exist? I believe they pre-exist. We are born with these rights no matter where we are and our government we, you know, the social contract, we give our government these certain powers so they can protect our rights. Makes sense to me. Uh, people are asking if they can get your Twitter handle. I think you'll pick up some followers right now. Uh, do you want to give that out so folks can follow you on Twitter? Right. It is Brianna underscore Watley. So B-R-I-A-N-A -A underscore Watley, W-H-A-T-L-E-Y. And there it is on the screen. 
So innate rights, is that a concept you think that your peers understand as well? Or is that something that is independent research and that's the only way you're going to come to that sort of thing? I mean, is it being taught in your classrooms? It's being taught, but again, there's a lack of understanding of what that means. They don't, you know, they don't understand that they have these, that every day they're able to do the things and say the things that they say because our country protects these rights that we have. And do they care that they don't know? They don't care. And that's the issue. You know, I was trying to recruit a lot of students for debate this past year, and a lot of them are just disconnected and they don't care about the topics. You know, they find it boring. They don't want to spend their time trying to understand these complex topics on domestic and foreign policy. They're just completely disinterested. So I don't remember debate being a very cool thing when I was a kid, but I don't remember thinking it was not a cool thing. I went to a pretty cerebral high school. I was lucky. Uh, how was it looked on by your peers? You know, you said you tried to recruit them and it didn't work out real well. What do people think about debate? Yeah. So in certain schools where the debate teams are well established, you know, the kids love debate there. But unfortunately, at my high school, debate kind of died out. And when I came in my freshman freshman year, I kind of had to rebuild the team and reinstill, you know, the debate team. And it worked out pretty well. I have great you know, teammates now, but trying to recruit is a whole nother story. It's extremely difficult, but you know, I've persuaded a lot of kids to join and I think that they'll continue throughout high school because they found the same love I have for debate. All right, so I've seen on your Twitter feed that you've kind of gone into the history of what debate looked like, where it's gone, what's happening. Uh, I'm gonna share with you kind of a funny little story. My father was in high school debate and mm -hmm. he was a fan of E.E. E. Cummings, who was a poet uh, in a tradition. And then after E.E. E. Cummings came a guy named T.S. Eliot. These are famous uh, poets that kind of had unique styles. And he wanted to debate. It was a poetry and, um, I guess, criticism, literary criticism debate. He told me this yesterday, by the way, because I told him we were going to do this interview. And he mentioned to me that he was told he could not use E.E. E. Cummings poems for the critical piece that they were doing because it wasn't the accepted canon at that time. It was relatively new poetry and it wasn't part of the classical stuff. You've been censored in a similar way uh, about politics and arguments you could or could not use. Can you tell kind of the big story of why you wanted to use a specific argument and then why you think you were told you couldn't? Right. So at the National Speech and Debate Association's National Qualifiers, I had, I was What do these look like, by the way? Well, like, paint the picture for people who have never been to a high school debate. They have no idea. What's the room look like? Who's in there? Who's, you know, what, what are the rules? How does that play out? Right. So this tournament was a big deal because this is how students qualify for the national tournament, right? And so I was competing in an event called extemporaneous debate, which is where we get a topic assigned and we have half an hour to prepare for it. And then we deliver a five to seven minute speech. And so at the time I was assigned a topic. If, Joe, if President Joe Biden were to be assigned a grade for his foreign policy, what would it be? At the time, I gave him a C minus, which was extremely generous. And as I was prepping, I was I included President Trump, which was the former administration, just to make a comparison, right? To compare the two administrations and how they've done so far within their foreign policy track record. Mm -hmm. And as I'm walking in to my room where there were two judges present, I hear the judge talking about a previous student that had just went up before her and he had made some joke about President Trump and she was talking very loudly and I think intentionally, right, 
talking about how inappropriate it was to mention Trump. And then she made it clear to me directly that if I mentioned Trump, she would make sure that it would be reflected within my ballot, right? That it was extremely inappropriate in her eyes. You know, at the time, I was full of adrenaline, as every student is during, you know, debate tournaments. So I really didn't think much of it. And so I looked over my speech. I looked at the places in which I mentioned President Trump, which in one instance was to talk about the Middle East, right, and discuss the Abraham Accords that was established under his presidency in comparison to Joe Biden, which hasn't made much progress within the Middle East during his presidency. Mm -hmm. And so I quickly erased that from my speech, and then I gave my speech. And after the fact, I had talked to my friend about it, and it was then I realized how wrong that was and how that was a form of censorship. So you're walking into this room, you have some lady who's gonna be determining, and, and there's scholarships on the line for debate, is that correct? There's there's eventual prestige and things like that, awards and, uh, resume builders? Right. This tournament was extremely uh, influential because I could have made it to the national qualifiers. Well, not the national qualifiers. I could have made it to the national tournament in Phoenix. Okay. So there's personal reputation at stake. You've got this random lady. Who is this lady? Who is this judge? Where do they come from? I believe she was a parent, right? So at National Speech and Debate Association tournaments, the judges are parents, right? You have to bring in these judges at tournaments. I've competed in other debate tournaments where the, actually the judges are professionals within their own fields, which is great because at the end of the round, I'll have, we'll be discussing, for example, COVID-19 shots and our judge will be an actual professor of medicine. But within the NSDA, National Speech and Debate Association, it's just parents that are judging. And I actually find this to be a really bad thing because it's parents that hold these strong biases Right. And so they can't really judge impartially as they should be. You've done some judging for debates as well. I think you said you did some high school debate judging. Yes. Is there any background or requirement or any test or knowledge? <laughs> we just lost her. Forgive her a second. We'll get her right back up on here. I'm seeing you guys in the chat. Thanks for your patience with this connection here. Sometimes we have these and uh, and that's just the nature of the, the programs that we use. But a lot of you are very enthusiastic about this. You're obviously seeing that uh, she has a, a probably a greater grasp of history than people that are quite a bit older than her and plenty of people who are actually voting at this point. We've got uh, we've got folks that bring it on the fact that the Abraham Accords, the fact that she even knows what that is at her age is, is impressive, which of course it is because she's paying attention. Uh, go ahead and bring her back on here. We're right in the middle of this. So do you need a specific background to go and do the judging at the middle school level where you have? And do the parents have to test into any sort of knowledge base to go in and do their judging of you? Right. So me as a high school student, I just have a, I have to have a certain amount of experience as a high school debater to judge at the middle school tournaments. And as for parents, you have to complete a judge training there, too. There's the cultural competence training, which is completely useless, in my opinion. I mean, we should really be teaching judges that when they're judging, you know, of course, you shouldn't take into account what a student's background is but you also shouldn't take into account what your personal ideology is. And that's something that these judge training videos completely ignore. Right? What is they cultural competence? What is that? I'm sorry? The cultural competence, what does that mean? Right, so it's a course talking about how we have to be, you know, very open-minded towards different backgrounds where students are from. And 
I feel like that's a given. I'm not sure why we need to have a whole course about that. And, you know, I find it useless. And the National Speech and Debate Association, they've actually launched different programs such as the uh, BIS, which is a, uh, they created a chapter specifically to address equity, right? And to ensure that equity is being instilled within all their tournaments. What do you think equity means? Or what does it mean if they define it for you? Right. So equity is making sure that every student has the same opportunities, no matter where they're from or, you know, what they identify as, which, again, I feel like is a given. I'm not sure why you need to have an entire, you know, chapter overviewing what it should look like within tournaments. That's something that, you know, doesn't exactly need to have a huge importance. Right. I don't really I don't care. There's actually a goal of the NSDA, right? And that's to have a judging panel that's diverse, right? From different backgrounds, identifying differently from each other. Actually, Tab Room, there's a website, right, where judges can log on and put their personal preferences for debates. And there's actually an option for them to self-identify as um, diversity enhanced. I don't know what that means. Am I diversity enhanced, do you think? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not, you'd have to self-identify as that. If you I could self-identify as uh, a Native American female. That would be pretty diverse. Right. And you know what? I don't think they'd have any problem with that. And then I'd just show up <laughs> like this. And I'd be good. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right? So, yeah. So there's actually an option for judges to do that. That way it would help the NSDA create rounds that are more diverse in the judging panel. But I'd argue, why does that matter? You know, I don't care where my judge comes from. I don't care what they identify as. As long as they're going to judge me impartially and I'm being judged based on the merits of being a debater, I'm completely fine with where you come from. So I'm not sure why there's such an importance on who they pick as judges. It seems like uh, academia, and I would say that debate has always been kind of, you know, using rhetoric has always been kind of a high form of academia. It's it's knowledge, but then it's crafting speech to argue on behalf of a position. It seems like it's really full of buzzwords. Are you, are you just overwhelmed with buzzwords that, that may or may not have any real meaning? Absolutely. You know, especially within NSDA tournaments, there's a lot of jargon that students will use. And you kind of lose focus of what the debate is at hand. There's actually an article that came out recently talking about this. And what students will do is they'll completely throw out the topic at hand and just go off on a rant about some critical theory. So, for example, let's say the topic at hand is should the United States have universal health care? What a student will do instead of arguing on the negation, for example, that Mm -hmm. this will cause long wait times for patients. They'll throw out the topic at hand and then argue for Afro-pessimism, for example, which is basically the notion that all blacks in America are oppressed, will be oppressed, or have been oppressed, and they will never be able to, you know, climb within the social ranks. And then incorporate that into the debate at hand when it has, you know, you're completely losing the focus of the heart of the debate. It would sound like it. Now, I'm just assuming, but are you black in America? I am. And are you oppressed? No, I'm not. Are you sure? (laughs) I am not oppressed. (laughs) It it, it sounds like we're being told that all the time. And yet here you are, you have uh, uh, an articulate position to, to espouse, and then you're being censored about talking about Trump. Were you a big Trump fan out of curiosity? 
You know, I've never been a huge supporter you, of Trump. You must have been pretty young when Trump came in. What, 2016? That goes back almost eight years now. So that puts you as a, a pretty young kid when Trump was president. Yes. I remember because my parents were upset about him being elected, I was too. And so I think that's another you know, factor of why students are so closed-minded. It's also their family members and just being influenced about their takes as well. But I just remember when he was elected, I was just so incredibly distraught and I had no reason for being so. And what? So you've gone back and had to critically look at him and add pros and cons um, you've been basically analyzing him against the current presidency in your in your debate, and, the, and particularly when you got censored. So what did your research tell you, and did you feel like that was a change from where you previously thought about him? Right. So once I started doing debate and I actually looked into, you know, President Trump's policies, I found that most of them were reasonable and that, you know, President Trump is not a racist like the media deems him to be. You know, I find a lot of, especially his foreign policy track record, it's it was great. You know, during his presidency, there were no new wars that were started, unlike in President Joe Biden's. And so, you know, it was debate that got me out of that mindset that, you know, Trump is this big evil man. What about your peers? Do you think they have uh, informed opinions about the Trump presidency versus the Biden presidency? Absolutely. You know, there are a lot of students that I will talk about, I will talk to and debate that have completely changed their opinions as well. I remember there was a specific teammate I had, and in the beginning of the year, we were talking about the southern border, and I remember her having such, you know, set and, you know, this direct opinion about Trump and how he was such, you know, he was trying to keep these immigrants out of the country because he hated them. You know, this really strong opinion. He's and so once mean, right? Right. <laughs> and once we actually finished the debate, she, her opinion completely changed. Right. And so that's the thing. Once we have these students becoming informed on these topics, we'll see that they'll understand what is happening for what it is and not what other people believe. Right. Isn't that the purpose of what the debate programs are about anyway? Absolutely. That's the purpose. And it's helped me personally get out of that closed mindedness. Gives you a little bit of a, an opportunity to exercise critical thinking, as as we used to always sort of believe at some point in time, your education shifts from learning information to critically evaluating new information. And, and it sounds like you're doing that. Tell me if I'm wrong here, because you've looked into some historical debates and the way the high school debates used to be. Sounds like they may have been better. Um, didn't people used to go in, get a topic and then get randomly assigned to argue pro or con, regardless of what their personal feelings were? Was that not a, a technique that people would do? Right. It still is to this day at most tournaments. We have to actually debate both sides. We'll have two rounds where one round will debate the affirmation and then the next will debate the negation. And what's the reason for that? Right. So the reason we do this is to make sure that students aren't creating arguments based off of their own personal beliefs, right? They're able to look at both sides because at the end of the day, no matter what side you're on, you need to understand what the other side is thinking and believing, right? To actually have a true and impactful debate. You know, I support Vivek Ramaswamy because he talks about open debate and how important it is. And before I actually went on Fox, he was one of the people that gave me the courage to go on and talk about the censorship that was going on in high school debate because I saw that, you know, others could 
analyze how important debate is in every setting, you know, in high school or in real life when we're having these conversations with our family members. Sure. Now, you said your parents aren't very political. What sort of news channels do they watch, if any, at home? You know, I'm their news channel, right? Whenever I'm, you know, discussing these debate topics with them, they're learning new things from me. But if anything, I know my dad does like to scroll on Facebook a lot and he'll he'll tell me what he finds on there. And usually it's a lot of misinformation. And then what do you how do those conversations go with your dad? Right. So usually he's very receptive. Right. And, you know, he thanks me for being able to have these conversations with him and to open his you know, own perspective. And sometimes, you know, conversations will get a little heated and that's OK. You know, we have these important discussions. I remember we were talking about systemic racism and it's important to see his perspective on it. But after the conversation, we really got through to a point where we can realize, you know, there isn't systemic racism in America and that we're not impressed in any way. Now, where would you categorize yourself on the political spectrum if we had to go on a left versus right versus center? Where do you think you stand? I'd probably lean more conservative, right? Um, I still haven't registered to vote yet because I'm not sure which political party to align myself with. And I've been thinking about it really hard, but I'd I'm probably going to um, align myself with the Republican Party because I do find myself leaning towards those values more. That's fair. And there's nothing wrong with being independent for as long as you need. You can always you can always make up your mind every time the thing comes down the, the pipe. What about your folks? Are they in the same uh, bracket as you? Where would you say they line up? I'd say they lean more progressive, you know, but then again, I go back to the idea that most people who aren't politically involved, you know, they have these opinions, but then again, they're not backed by anything. And so I, I'll say that they lean progressive, but then when I have these conversations with them, they'll end up agreeing with my opinions, which lean more conservative. Can you give me one example of that? I love these, by the way, because I have these with my in-laws. My wife is uh, was originally from Brooklyn, and so she grew up in a very progressive household. We now live in Texas, and my wife is like this rabid pro-gun you know, raising babies kind of lady. And she has a master's degree and she's very sharp. But whenever we have these debates, it's it's always a, a funny question. You ask them what they believe, they tell you what they believe, you ask them why, and they don't really have a lot of reasons. Do you, do you have similar debates? Maybe one example that you've had with your folks? Yeah, so we actually did have a little debate about the parental rights and education bill. And, you know, my dad was saying that, you know, Governor DeSantis, he's trying to censor what's going on in schools, control everything. He's a mini dictator in the state of Florida. But once we actually discuss what the bill was about, he actually, my dad, he completely agreed with me that nobody should be talking to children about sexual orientation and gender identity unless it's the parents. So he took the media position that was being put out there, correct? And then and you're sort of educating him on the the contents of the bill, and then he agrees with it? Yeah, just like that. <laughs> Facts can change opinions? Yes. How un-American of them, huh? <laughs> Is that, that's got, we'll get you back on here in a second. Folks, I see a lot of you are very, uh, are very enthusiastic. We're going to find out a little bit about what uh, Brianna thinks about the future of this country, because I think in many ways, seeing our, our young people, they are the future of this country. So we got to figure out 
what it is that they are looking to step into here. We've got the chat up right now. Looks like we've had uh, Garrett O'Boyle join us. So welcome, Garrett. Thanks for joining us in the chat. And uh, we're going to bring Brianna right back on here again. <laughs> Sometimes we have this little thing with uh, Wi-Fi. I think that's what's going on there. So you, you just brought up a couple of uh, instances. You shared some facts. Your folks changed their opinion. Uh, they're obviously going to love you one way or another, but it's always fun when you guys can have kind of an int uh, intellectual matchup. You're looking down the barrel of an America being able to vote in the next, what, 18 months or so, something like that? Right. What do you think about this country? I, I mean, is there is it uh, a nation in decline, as uh, President Trump has said? Is it a nation that is in great turmoil? Or, or maybe, you know, do you have hope? Do your, do your classmates have hope? What are you guys looking down the barrel of, like, walking out into the world? Right. So personally, I believe that this country is going down a slippery slope, right? I think politics is getting too divisive. You know, you can't have a simple conversation about politics without it turning into a screen match. And I find that extremely concerning, right? You look on TikTok, for instance, you look at these social media apps, and you see that people are just torn apart based off of their own, you know, political parties and beliefs. And I always like to turn back to George Washington and his farewell dress, and he argues against political parties. Now, I believe in political parties because you're exercising your right to free speech and you're, you know, voicing your own opinions. But I agree with Washington on the idea that it can become dangerous when people begin to advocate for their own party's interests rather than the nation's best interest. And so, you know, I, I talk about Vivek a lot because he's actually recognized that and he's been trying to mend this divisiveness within, you know, this country about based off of politics. And I think once we all realize, even if we're talking about the most divisive topics such as abortion, whether you're pro-choice, you care about the life of the mother. And if you're pro-life, then you care about the life of that baby. But again, when we talk about this, and we realize we all care about life at the end of the day. And once we can find that common ground with among each other as Americans, then, you know, we can stray away from the divisiveness of politics. Do you think uh, Vivek has a, a real shot in this primary? I do believe so. I, I believe once the presidential debates start happening, people will, you know, hear about Vivek more and understand his perspective on how this country should steer in the future. And I think he does have a real shot. I think he's really sharp too. So I'm I'm on the same on the same platform as you. Having met him and and you know you have a little conversation. What was it about your personal meetup with him that really you walked away with thinking that that he was so such a capable candidate? Right. So you know the fact that he even showed up was a testament to the man that Vivek is. Right. After it was a very brief conversation between him and I, but I explained how you know influential part that he was in helping me to get on Fox, right? He gave me that courage to speak out on the censorship that's going on. And also throughout that conversation, he you know, explained there's actually a scholarship he's funded for high schooler students like myself to submit a one to two minute video explaining what it means to be an American. And if you win, you get $25,000. And you know, he shared that with me and I will be applying very soon because that is a lot of money. <laughs> and I'm very grateful for Vivek to have that scholarship and also want to revive civic duty among the youth by having them answer that question. Okay, fair enough. I think that's good. I think it's a good thing to be able to do. Asking what is an American or what does it mean to be an American sounds like a great thing for for young people to be able to articulate. Let's um, let's look down the lines of the polling. Let's say they hold right now. It looks like Trump's two to one or so. 
Um, Trump in a presidential election versus who, who do you see on the other side? Trump versus Joe Biden. You think Joe Biden's holding on to it? You think he gets all the way through to the to the uh, end of the primaries and, and he's the general candidate? I do believe so. Yes. OK, so you look at the two of them. Um, wh what do you think as you evaluate those two as strengths, differences, where your where your uh, your young colleagues who probably can vote? Some of your classmates will be able to vote in this. Where are they going to lean? Right. So I'm actually a little torn on this one. Right. There are a lot of Americans who, you know, are never Trumpers. They will never vote for Trump. But then again, after Joe Biden was elected, we saw how a lot of Americans regretted that decision. You know, we saw how with the Ukrainian war, President Biden quite literally said Americans will have to deal with high gas prices for as long as it takes to help these Ukrainians win the war. And so I believe that in those instances, a lot of Americans realize that their decision to vote for Biden was a mistake. But I also think that, you know, the media has been very di di divisive towards President Trump, especially with his indictments. Right. We see that a lot of people are, you know, straying away from voting for him again or, you know, for the first time. And so I'm really not sure how this general election would play out. But I'd like to think that most people would lean towards Trump just because of, you know, we saw how disastrous President Biden's presidency is. It does not feel that great. And, and do you think that your classmates are seeing things like that as they start getting into the world and having to fill up a tank full of gas and start driving around trying to do the things that kids do? And, uh, you know, they get their first taste of either a paycheck and or maybe just the first bill that comes due when they when they have to go out and pay the, the, the price of the pump. Right. I do. You know, it's kind of split at my school. A lot of students will say, you know, Biden is horrible. You know, I, why is he even president? And then I'll hear on the other side, oh, Trump can never become president and just have these really strong opinions. Do uh, boys versus girls have a different breakdown on that, you think? I don't think so. I think that it's just, you know, especially when teachers at my school are inputting their own political opinions, like my AP US history teacher does, that's just how students are swayed, right? That's where they form their opinions based off of their circle. Okay. All right. I'm going to do a final prediction. Uh, end of, let's say, 2025. Who do you think's in the White House and what's that mean for America? I not, believe... who you, not who you hope. I, I, who do you really think as you kind of evaluate out there? I'm very curious. Right. So this is a great question. I would, I would like to think that President Trump would be back in office in 2025. And I'd like to think that, you know, a lot of problems that we're seeing in the country, such as, you know, allowing the war in Ukraine to continue when I personally believe that war should have never been continued by the aid of the United States. I think a lot of people have died for no reason. Um, it could have been a peaceful transfer of power within Russia between Ukraine. I, I'd like to see that war end and I'd like to see lives, you know, stop being put in danger for this, you know, idea that we're saving people's lives. I don't think that's true. Um, I'd like to see that, you know, fiscal policy and, uh, you know, putting money out into the economy. We've seen high inflation and it's really bad. There's people that are struggling you know, being able to pay gas to go to work. We see people there, you know, the baby formula shortage was a huge issue mm -hmm. also. And, you know, we see these countries, the, we see these problems throughout the country and a lot of them 
can be solved, right, with the right action in office. Okay, fair enough. You're looking down the line. You've got college coming up in the next two years. You're going to go to college, or do you want to go and jump into the workplace right away? Yes, I'm planning to go to college. Okay, and what do you think you want to study? I'm actually not sure yet. I know I want to go to school in Washington, D.C., and I'm hoping that there I'll find out what I truly want to do. But I know that, you know, there's a lot of issues that I see in my own community that I'd like to help pave the way for a solution for. And I think, you know, going into D.C. would be the right pathway. So, all right, be careful in D.C. Let me just tell you, that's a wild place. Having worked there for the last five years, or I did that for five years with the FBI. It's a very strange uh, world. Do you have any idea what you might want to do with your life in the in the, in the the future? If, if you don't know what you're going to study, maybe not. But do uh, you have any kind of instinct on what that help would look like? You know, again, I'm not exactly sure what I want to do. I just know that hopefully I'll be helping others, you know, um, probably go into law, politics. I'm not sure. But I just want to make, I, I know as an American, I have the power to change what's going on within my own communities, and I want to be able to exercise that. This is the kind of hope that people like to hear. I really do appreciate you sharing your perspective with us, and uh, we wish you all the best. If uh, anything exciting comes, you can always come back on and talk on our show. We, we'll, we'll have you on anytime you like. Uh, so, Brianna, thanks for uh, joining us today. Tell people where they could follow you and anything that you'd like to promote. Uh, I know you wrote that opinion article, so you can kind of share that. And maybe Ryan will throw it on the screen, too. Right. So I, I recently uh, published an article with the Washington Examiner just overviewing my experience with the National Speech and Debate Association and how I've been censored and there are other students who have been as well. And again, you can just follow my Twitter. I'm very active on there. I post what's going on. So if you want any updates on how my you know advocating is going for this, just go ahead and follow my Twitter. Brianna, thanks for joining us today. This is our first Tuesday show, so you're breaking some ground with us. And there it is. There's that article. This was an opinion piece you just put out there, which was dated June 30th. Folks can find that. Uh, you said on the, was it Washington Examiner? Yes. Fantastic. And that is also, I think, pinned somewhere in your, your Twitter uh, timeline as well. Yes. All right. Well, if you think of anything that needs to be tagged and needs to be boosted, you always have my support on there. Let me know. You can always DM me, of course. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for sharing your Tuesday morning. We uh, wish you great things in the future, and I think you made some fans today. So don't be surprised if you get a couple more followers on that. And uh, we do really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is our first Tuesday episode. It is streaming live from Liberty Hill, Texas, and also out of Southern Florida with our guests. Don't forget to like this video, please. And uh, folks, if you would share the link on your favorite social media platforms, we do really appreciate that. A couple of thank yous. First, we'll thank you for listening. We want to tell you that you are the reason that the show continues to grow. We get five-star reviews from you all. You can always click on the show notes and leave one of your own. Well over 600 right now, and here is the one for today. It's uh, from our episode with Carlos Araniello. And this is DBA1 Mom. Says, Kyle, unbelievable information shared. Firsthand speechless. I had to stop a couple times to work through my emotions. We're sorry about the emotions that we cause. Uh, as a mother of two, there were times I found myself shaking. Thank you and all the whistleblowers and suspendables for revealing the truth and for being loud instead of quiet. Zib T. I assume that's a signature there. Well, we appreciate you for being loud, for sharing your opinion, and for sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks for sharing your five-star review. Folks, please consider subscribing to the Rumble channel. And if you have not hit the like button, you can scroll on down on Rumble on the app. Hit that little thumb until it turns green, and then you know it has been recorded. We, uh, If you're watching on another platform, I know we're streaming on a bunch of others. You can always come and join the live chat, which was bumping today on Rumble 
rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin slash live. That will always give you our newest show. And I do want to say thanks to the hard work, the technical skill of our producer, Ryan Matta. Follow him, Ryan Matta, M-A-T-T-A Media, Ryan Matta Media on Twitter. The opening theme, which you finally heard, we, we skipped it yesterday, but we brought it back on from my brother, the very talented Casey Serafin. We want to thank our guest today too, Brianna, for joining us. Follow her on Twitter. All of her stuff is going to be linked in the show notes. Folks, we will see you again tomorrow, Wednesday, for another Kyle Serafin Show, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.